hello, everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene with Inkheist, um, and I am here tonight uh, solo with the amazing Beverly Lee. She is the author of The Making of Gabrielle da- Davenport, which I have not read yet, um, which is the first of three in a series so far. Uh, the Ruin of Delicate Things, which I've been slogging through, but I'm almost done with, and it is amazing. <laughs> That's very, very kind of you to say so, Shane, and it's lovely to be here. Good evening to everybody listening. Um, thank you for being here, Beverly. It's uh, I'm awestruck. I am. I'm in the presence of stardom here. Oh, don't don't of. say that. You'll get me all tongue-tied. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good, because then when I forget what I'm saying, you won't notice. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the usual spiel, How about give us just a little bit about yourself for anybody who doesn't know anything, or doesn't know you, rather. Okay, uh, my name is Beverly Lee. I live in the UK in the beautiful county of Oxfordshire. Um, I write character-led multi-point of view dark fiction specializing in atmosphere relationships and the build-up of dread um and that that that's a very good uh description of what you write character-led or character-driven um that's really what it's all about just from what i've seen i've read short stories in um we are wolves i think yes and, um Places we fear to tread. I'm terrible with titles, so if I get those wrong, correct. No, no, that you're you're quite right. That that they were they were two from last year. Um, yeah, and I was fortunate enough to win one of those in a contest, and I bought the other one. Um, I was fortunate enough to have done that too, because they're both excellent. Ah, well, I'm 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 glad you enjoyed them. I was very honoured to be amongst very wonderful writers in both of those anthologies. Exactly, all the way through them. Um, but the the point being the character driven thing everything i've read by you that's very much where if someone says tell me about this story i'm going to tell you about characters yeah i i I believe that characters are almost more important than plot um yes i believe that too um in fact i can't find a plot if i don't find a character first so no you, you you can have the best plot in the world but if you have characters that nobody cares about no one's going to enjoy the book Right, not even you. <laughs> not even, especially, especially not even you. No. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I'm. That was an answer to a question I hadn't asked yet. Was the one about the character-driven stuff. So, we've got the ball ro- rolling. Um, before we get too far along with it, let's talk about um, Gabrielle Davenport. Okay. Okay, I know nothing about this book except it's sitting here glaring at me, saying, "Read me." Oh, my! That that was my debut book way back in 2016. God, that seems so long ago. Now. It seems a very long time ago. I remember writing that book, and actually, when I when I started to write it, I I, I didn't know whether I had it in me to write a full length novel. So I started it off thinking that. I may well just shelve it. In fact, the, the first 3,000 words of Gabriel were written in 2014, right at the beginning of 2014. I got 3,000 words in and I 
decided that it wasn't working and I put it in a folder and I left it. And then in the beginning of 2015, I had a kind of epiphany, like if I don't see if I can write the novel now, I'll be looking back in 20 years time going, oh, but what if I could? So I pulled it back out again, looked at it and changed one thing, because in that original 3000 word start, Gabriel was actually a girl. And as soon as I changed the gender, the whole story came pouring out. That's fascinating. I know, um, it's amazing, isn't it? It really is. Um, I've only sold one story so far, but I've been fortunate enough that um, every time I think about characters, they always just kind of tell me their gender. Yeah. Um, I never consider that. I just go into it and let it, you know, let it happen, but... Yeah, I had one character that I was writing over and over and over trying to make one way and the character, it was just wrong. And I totally destroyed a story trying to C stick characters, to that. Characters do not like being pushed in the wrong direction. Nope. <laughs> no more I, I, than I, people do. <laughs> I, exactly. I, I can always guarantee if I get stuck in a story, it's because I'm shoving the character down a pathway that he doesn't want to go on. And then I have to backtrack and go, hold on a minute. Why isn't this character speaking to me? And nine times out of ten, it's because it's not got the story that I'm putting it in. It's just not the right kind of story. It wants to go along a different pathway. Right, right. And, yeah, I found that with the last one I wrote, which uh, were the first one I published, rather, the last one I wrote, mm. um, which... Uh, Laurel Hightower was kind of a godsend and a mentor with that one, but it started out going in a totally wrong direction. Mm. Um, the characters were right, but I'm a novice, and they weren't defining themselves to me. Mm. Um, and uh, Laurel's just a really good... L Laurel, is just, Laurel is just amazing. She's just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, she's a great talent. She's got an eye that just blows me away because she always catches things that I sit there and go, "Wow, how did yeah, I not yeah. see that?" You know? Yeah, and and it's 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 the little details, isn't it? I often think that it's the little details that take a good writer up to a great writer. Exactly, exactly, and that's. I mean, that's the greatest thing in the world when you have somebody who's willing to look at your stuff and honestly say, well, this is fucked up and you should change this. And this yes. is, you know, I mean, otherwise there would be there would be a story out there right now with um, five similes in one sentence. <laughs> Ooh, that, that's uh, different. <laughs> actually, it was one paragraph. But yes, there were four or five of those suckers there. And Laurel saved me. <laughs> But, but, but sometimes as a writer, you, you're so involved in the story that things like that just, just gloss past you and you need somebody else's eyes to, to point it out for you. Yeah, and I spend, I think I kind of spend my head, my time with so much poetry in my yes. head. Yes. That I sit there and, you know, embrace metaphor and simile as a crutch yeah. sometimes. That's That's very difficult when you have your poetic brain... Uh, arguing with your sort of creative writerly brain and one of them often wins out and sometimes it's not the right one <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but anyway we're sitting here talking about me or i am because you know i'm that kind of a narcissist <laughs> um 
back to Gabriel Dal- Davenport. Sorry. Uh-huh. Let's uh, talk about vampires. Where did you start with? Where did your? I guess it feels like you have a passion for vampires. I or have a-, a passion for vampires. Vampires are my drug of choice. Uh, I've always been fascinated by vampires, but. It, but when it really started to take off was when I read uh, Anne Rice's interview with a vampire. And that book just absolutely blew me away. And I had to have all the books then and read them all. And I just loved the way that she gave them human emotions. Um, they weren't just chaotic killing machines. She, she gave them guilt and the need for love and the need for revenge. It was just such a fabulous fabulous package and I think I take a, a lot of my writing news um, from um, so yes that's where it all really started um, yeah and I, I guess that would be the same if I you know I'm not as passionate I love vampires I devour vampire stories um, but I think no pun intended I would suck at writing them <laughs> um, it- it's finding a different. It's fine. It's having the same trope, but putting your own spin on it. That's the thing about things like that. But like, 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 like any trope, like werewolves or creatures from the swamp or vampires, anything like that. Yeah. Um, and really, uh, with vampires, especially, I forgot exactly where I was going with that. Never mind on that one. Um, so yeah, then that kind of leads me to that second set segment of um what what part of your life was it when you read that book or those books and at what point in time did you think i should write about vampires myself well i've always written even from being little i used to write awful awful cliche written pony stories when i was at school for my long-suffering english teacher complete with illustrations i'll have you know and i can i am no Gemma <laughs> Moore here i am definitely not Gemma Moore as far as illustrations are concerned um but yeah and i continued to pen short stories uh, all through the years really even when i was bringing up a young family and i don't know i just always had the feeling that i could write a book but it never seemed to be the right time but as any writer will tell you there never is a right time. You just got to sit your bum in the chair and just write. Yep, and that was uh, uh, that was a hard discovery for me at fifty-five for someone way way younger than me, like you know my daughter's age to say, dude, yeah, just write it, man. Yeah. Who fucking yeah. cares if anyone likes it? You know. <laughs> yeah, you 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 were almost like me. You thought you maybe you could, but you were dithering because you didn't think you could, which is that really awkward place to be in yes yes it is um but uh i'm digressing did i did i take you off track no no you're fine okay you asked me about vampires and i think i rambled off on the track somewhere as well oh. uh, yeah but I, I can talk about vampires all night it's a favorite subject it's like i love Anne rice i love skip inspectors light at the end um yeah. i mean every you know the Justin Cronin stuff, which is very yeah. different. I liked that quite a lot, you know, and it's anytime someone says vampire, I'm going to get the book, you know? So yeah. yeah, I have a passion for reading about them. Definitely. Um, what about film? 
What about film? Gosh, right, okay. Um, well, I loved the movie of Interview with a Vampire. We're going back to that. Although I was convinced that I would hate Tom Cruise as Lestat because it wasn't the Lestat in my in my head. Because of course I read the books first, which is always a difficult thing. Uh, but he didn't do he didn't do a half bad job of it. I don't think. No, he wasn't great. Uh, I agree. He didn't fit the image I had. But... No, no, it was just so weird why why they had mm-hmm. him. Oh, star power. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, what's another vampire movie I love? Oh, Lost Boys. I love Lost Boys. Oh. I could just watch that on a loop. <laughs> I think that's my favorite of all time, probably. It's just, so, che- it's just so cheesy 80s fun, isn't it? It is, and that's exactly it, just fun end to end. And you're never really all that scared after the first time you watch it, but you just have a really good time with it. Yeah, you you can you can almost say what the characters are going to say kind of before they say it, and you just know what's coming. And I don't know, I don't think they'll ever make a a movie like that again. It's just mm. wonderful. I agree, I agree. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so before I move on here, I'm going to move on, and I'm going to quit grilling you about vampires. Um, <laughs> There are three books in the Gab- Gabriel Davenport series. Yes. Um, is that an end to it, or do you have more coming? I haven't read them, so I couldn't go, oh, no, she left the cliffhanger. She better not. You know? <laughs> well, when I, when I started Gabriel, as I think I, I mentioned a few, few minutes ago, I wasn't even sure if I could write a book. And right. it wasn't until I got about three quarters of the way through it that I thought, hold on a minute, I... I know the ending. That's the thing about my stories. I always know how they're going to end. I might not know how the characters are going to get there, but I know the ending. Right. So I had the ending, and I thought, oh, I think I know what happens next. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody was more more surprised than me about that. So, yeah, and then uh, Shining in the Shadows is the second one. That book, that was the – that book just – flowed out of me it was one of those books that you know when writers sit down and they say I couldn't type quickly enough that was the book Mm. and then I thought ah I've got this writing game down and then it came to the purity of crimson which was the last one and that one was just awful to write because (laughs) I had to I had to bring in I had to have a story but I had to tie up all the loose ends that I'd left in Gabriel and the loose ends that I'd left in Shadows and make it interesting and it, I literally sweat, sweated blood over that book and at one point I thought I can't do this it's beaten me I would struggle with that pardon me for <coughs> sorry about that um I would struggle with that too just for continuity reasons alone you know my mind is uh little challenged anyway and it's like three books later wait yeah it is it's 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 very hard keeping the timeline and working out what character did what and what one tiny paragraph you may have put in the first book means so much in the last book right right but um i'm sure you did it masterfully because i have a lot of friends who are reviewers and hardcore um adorers of horror fiction and dark fantasy fiction and i've never had someone say there's a bad book in that series so oh well i'm i'm, I'm very glad he gave me a lot of gray hairs <laughs> <laughs> i 
I, uh, I don't have any more gray hairs to give. Every single one <laughs> is gray now. <laughs> um, so I don't have to worry about losing any more of those. Well, there you go, you see. Yep. <laughs> um, see, that's how, what I do to myself. I sidetrack myself. I'm actually better right now because I started new meds and they've got me clear-headed, but they've also got me kind of rambly because they're when you first start drugs like that, they make mm. you really jittery, you know. <laughs> but rambly is good for a podcast, isn't it? No, nobody wants sort of questions that are set in stone. I, I think that's why people like podcasts. It's like they're listening to a conversation in a restaurant or something. Yeah, and it's fortunate too because um, Enkais basically embraces that. You know, if you came, if you came here looking for an interview, you might want to go find somebody else to talk to. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Because uh, I don't think any of us has an organized brain enough to do it, except maybe Laurel. And Laurel could do it, yeah. 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 <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. There is. That was the other one. Did we finish that part? Oh, or? I think I, th- I think I think you asked me if there was a possibility of any more. Right. Well, well, when when I when I finally plowed my way through purity, I left the characters that were still alive at the end of that book in a in a, in a safe place let's say but <laughs> the the ending was a little bit open and a little bit closed depending on how you read it mm-hmm. and i thought right that's it they can't complain the characters now i've had three books with them they'll be fine but ever since i finished that book there's a certain character from that book i won't say which one who is on my shoulder in every other book that I've written going, I could have done that better. <laughs> <laughs> so never say never about there being a fourth one. <laughs> or an or a offshoot series even. Oh, <laughs> story. yes. Yes. Oh, certain characters are just like, like go away, I'm done with you. And then they mm-hmm. just don't listen. Um, I, yeah, I completely understand that. I've, not had that experience but um working on some deadlines on some calls and things that i need to do and um a contest that's your fault um no not at all don't blame me <laughs> wasn't me wasn't me at all. <laughs> um and but i've got a, a novel that i'm working on with Ooh. a character that i'm really really intimate with and it's kind of like um he sits there and talks to me at night when I'm trying to go to sleep and stuff. Yeah, yeah they're, they're the ones. They never they never stop. Yep. <laughs> so I will be back to that soon, I'm quite sure. Um, but which leads me to our next topic. You talked about um, taking tropes and making them your own, finding uh-huh. a new um, way to thematically approach something like this and make it um, a unique story, and mm-hmm. I can vouch for this when I say that ruin is, or the ruin of de- delicate things is very much that thing. Ah, oh, thank you. I, I I always wanted to write a haunted house story, but I had to have the right haunted house mm-hmm. story. Um, yeah, and this is like haunted house deluxe. Yeah, <laughs> it makes Hill House just look like a new build on an estate somewhere, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I, I would pay to stay at Hill House after, <laughs> what is it, Barrett Manor? 
Yeah, I've, I've already had people say to me, oh, does this place exist? Because I'd love to go and have a look around. <laughs> <laughs> and that causes me, you know, the macho man to think, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see what happened the last time somebody went and looked around? Yeah, did, did, did you not read the story? <laughs> <laughs> but it's fascinating, though, I mean, what you did with that story, because you did make it a very different thing. And, I mean, there's so much that I could reveal but won't, you know, about. No, it's, it, it's a really hard book to talk about, isn't it, without actually giving anything away. It really is, because especially one of the things that chills me the most, and I'm not going to talk about it, I think you'll probably know, yeah. um, it isn't really mentioned in the synopsis or anywhere like that. No, that's, that, that's just left as a lovely thing for the reader to discover all by themselves. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But, um, yeah, very, very, very chilling book for me. I suspect for a, a lot of people it will be for similar reasons. Um, and then you take it to the next level. And these are, you know, just little droppers here. I'm not going to spoil anything that doesn't happen right away, really. Mm -hmm. um, the way you deal with um, themes of loss in the thing, mm -hmm. you know, um it's so I've, you know, I've seen people go through that. I've gone through it. Not exactly the same loss, but the way you handle the relationship between um, Faye and Dan. Yeah. And, you know, the way they deal with their loss and that kind of unmentioned pall over them is very, very realistic. And yeah. I mean, because of that, it's both brilliant and also quite disturbing in itself, you know. In a good yeah. way. Yeah, the the, the 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 grief aspect was was always always there. And again, when when that book started out, um, it had it had a similar feel. But when I tentatively started plotting it, um, it wasn't it wasn't Dan and Faye that went to the cottage. It was Dan and his daughter that went to the cottage and something had happened to the mother i can't remember what it, what it was um and again it just didn't feel right i got a few thousand words in and i thought no this isn't right and then as soon as i made it a couple that had lost something well then again the, the whole story spiraled mm -hmm. i just lost my sound here okay are you there I'm there, yes. Okay, sorry, my sound clicked off for a second. Oh, right. Um, yeah, and that's fascinating to me when that happens, where someone's like, I mean, I think even, I think Josh Mallerman told me he took an entire finished novel and dumped it in the round file and just sat down and wrote it yeah. again. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that takes so, so much courage to do that. You know? Yeah. Well, but, the, 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 the one that I'm writing now, that I seem to have been writing for ever and ever and ever, um, I got to 57,000 words and I had to seriously look at it and decide that as a story, it just wasn't working. So mm. I had to pick it apart and pick out the bits that did work. And <clears throat> that's what I'm working on at the moment, the, the novella. Um, oh, yeah. I'm trying to work on a novella, but... Um... Mostly the novel and the short story thing, although short stories still kind of perplex me. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a different beast, aren't they, short stories? 
Very much so. It's like I'm when I'm sitting down working on the novel, I'm very comfortable with it. And with the short story, it's like, oh, God, I got to think now, you know. <laughs> There's, there's, there, there's no room for waffling off on a nice, beautiful, poetic description about something. <laughs> exactly. And, and I'm terrible about that, too. I've had so many things that I started thinking was going to be a short story and is now sitting in sit, now sitting in the notebook as an idea for a longer one. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, once again, I'm rambling. Uh, I, I'm, I'm rambling too, so we're in good company. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying something so I remember while I remember what the hell I was talking. About. <laughs> well, you pluck something out of the ether, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I was talking about the themes and how you handled the emotion of that, and mm-hmm. um, I mean. It, you could go out about at this thing in so many different ways as far as talking about, um, you know, what it addresses thematically. Um, because there are big things and there are small things and there are big things that are touched on in small ways. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there's something that looks at first like it's um, wish fulfillment projection on phase far- yeah. part. And turns out not to be that whatsoever, yeah. you know. Um, and then you touch on that part, the, what I call the yellow wallpapered room syndrome, mm-hmm. where she says something to Dan and Dan doesn't buy it. He just yeah. is frustrated that she's feeling what she's feeling because she sh- can't be. And, you know, that's kind of that mental splaining to himself what he'd like to explain to her sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm sitting here explaining way too much about this book now. <laughs> no, but, 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 but again, it, it, it's really difficult. I mean, all, all the listeners will be going, but yeah, but what, the, what is the book about? <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah, we haven't actually said a damn thing about that. <laughs> no, we've just waffled around the edges. But it is, it is, it is an incredibly hard book to speak mm. about without re- revealing, you know, key points which may spoil it so yeah I, I do understand I've, I've had other interviews where people have gone well what's the book about and I've gone mm. <laughs> it's a ghost story <laughs> yeah but well, it's got a couple and there's a house and a lake and, and a cottage you know? yeah <laughs> and they go swimming and they yeah, and they, the and they, house and they, and they go swimming and, and the village is a bit odd and yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, and that's actually a bullet point sitting here on my uh, in my notes here um, was the village. The village is odd to the point of every time the village comes into the story, it just creeps me out. So it the, makes the, the village. Mind. The village is very odd. Shall I tell you a little story about that village? It's almost based on a village that um, about. Four, four years ago, Gabriel was just out. I went to a little village, actually not too far from here, but I didn't live in Oxfordshire then, uh, to meet another writer. And he was there to, to meet his agent. Uh, he was a, a few years along the line from me. He's got an agent and a publishing deal and everything. But we, we met and, and we had a look around the village. And we, we kind of veered off towards the graveyard like... Like you do when you're in a normal mm-hmm. English country village. And because we were walking like along the back streets, we noticed that from all the door knockers or the door handles on each cottage, there was like 
a little crocheted ribbon in different colours. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and we we well we, we because we're writers, we just made up this story that this was some kind of thing that was warding off the devil. And so every time we saw anybody, we we we'd make this sort of comment like, I wonder if it's them. I wonder if they did it. And basically, it was just one of those situations where you just laugh continually for the whole visit. But because of that, this whole village had this whole sort of creepy kind of, well, you're an outsider, but we're not going to tell you what's happening, but we'll give you hints. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you to make it up. So basically, that's where that came from. Right. Well, that's interesting, too. It's kind of like uh, my head immediately while you're talking about that, because I came from a very religious background that I don't necessarily embrace anymore was mm-hmm. um, in, uh, in, in the blood around the doors to ward off, you know, when... Yeah. when the firstborn children were being taken in Egypt and yeah. um, I'm terrible with titles. I remember the, I remember what book it's in, but don't ask me to tell you because I just don't care anymore. No, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the first thing you said that. And it's like, Oh, that makes it even a little bit more chilling. Cause the, as soon as you said that, I thought they're warding something off. <laughs> it was just like, the, it was just the most bizarre thing and, and more bizarre because you know it was crochet it was something that like should be just something very homely and comfortable but i don't know because every door had it on it was obviously obviously some kind of like a local custom thing but right. it just it, it just was a bit chilling in a way mm-hmm. and there's no way your mind couldn't go places with that, especially not if you're Beverly Lee or, you know, Gemma Moore or Shane Keen or. (laughs) But but to end that evening, we went went to the local pub just to have a coffee. I was driving and and he was meeting his agent. And the first thing we noticed when we stood in this really old bar, like, you know, it goes back to about the 1500s. There's like cloves of garlic behind the bar. And I looked at my friend and he looked at me and the bar the bartender came across and asked what we wanted. And the bartender was Romanian. <laughs> <laughs> so that oh, kind of just up. finishes off completely the fact that this weird village had coos- had um, cloves of garlic and a Romanian bartender. So, yes, it appealed to my vampire sensibilities a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would appeal to my vampire sensibilities too. Right on my way out of town, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, we, we, left, we left very soon after that, so it's okay. We, we didn't. I didn't stay the night. Um, I've actually been a daredevil about things like that all my life. If there was a haunted house and nobody would go in, I was the kid who walked up and went in, you know. And yeah, you know, because I've also been a terrible skeptic all my life until I got older and realized that mortality was a thing yeah. <laughs> um pardon me for a second oh um well, that makes no sense to me whatsoever can you read this note for me beverly no <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> have you just written like three words and it makes, and it makes no sense whatsoever um what uh oh that was it sorry um when it comes to writing in general it's like um 
Gabriel the Gabriel books are um, very much horror, but they're they're also um, what I would call very dark fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that, that they are. I mean, when I wrote Gabriel, I wrote it as a dark fantasy. And when people started calling it horror, no one was more surprised than me because I didn't particular, particularly think it was horror until I sort of stepped back. And again, it was that thing of me being so close to it that I, I, I didn't really see the, the horror aspects of it. Right, right. Um, and it, uh, And then you move on to ruin and it's very much a horror novel yeah i mean you have this you have a voice that's kind of like um almost like you're reading a fantasy novel a lot of the time but um there's nothing at all dark fantasy about this except for that one hopes it's imaginary yeah yeah it's um I mean, the setting should be idyllic, shouldn't it? A beautiful old cottage in a lovely forest next to a village. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's 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 any it's anything but. Yes, and that's where you know it brings me back to something that I had thought about and apparently didn't make a note about, which was the atmosphere. Um, you had this, you know, and the little town triggered it back for me because you had, in addition to the fact that this idyllic situation is not you know um it's actually it's uh really has an atmosphere of intense solitude and loneliness um very brooding uh, at every step of the way you feel like there could be something that's going to happen right now you know what i mean like if you're walking through a horror novel or something like that um, and then you add in that little town, which I mm. cannot ever see. Anytime I read about it, I cannot ever see the sun shining in that place. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. The, the, you know, the, 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 there's a reason why, uh, I, th- I think I said at some point, that, you know, people leave town as soon as they can. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, which is kind of what we all say about our hometowns, but that was like yeah. a good advice there. <laughs> Yes, I'm. 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 I'm sure they're on the 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 next yeah. bus out of there as soon as they can. <laughs> also, I start rambling as we've talked about, and if I do spoil something that you desperately don't want to, just sit, just ask me to mark the time okay. and I'll cut it. Okay, I, I I I think we're good. I think we're I think we kind of we're skirting around it nicely, yep. and I hope coherently enough for the listeners to understand. I'm I'm kind of a pro at it because I hate it when somebody spoils something for me really bad. You know, it's like my wife will say, this book is about shut up, please. Yes. Do you you realize what happens in the last chapter? And you're like, no, don't speak to me. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, that atmosphere, is that something? It's like when I think about setting atmosphere um, and character a lot of times certain writers I read and I've mentioned this before um, the atmosphere and the setting are very much as as character driven as the characters themselves I I mean I I count Barrington Hall as a character in the book Um, yeah a very menacing one (laughs) yes it, it, it's the same with my Gabriel Davenport series. There's, there's a house there called the Manor. Right. Um, 
again, because such a lot happens there, it is a it is a character. But but I, but I think good horror horror fiction, um, it just use, uses all writers' tools, doesn't it? Be it setting or characters or plot or language. You, you just have to have all those together to to invoke that emotional response in a reader. Um, which is yeah, that's a good point too. The the emotional response in yeah. a reader is um, the ultimate thing. If you can't spark an emotional response, I guess in yourself first, you're not going to in the reader, and that is that is the gift. You want the reader to say, "Wow, this really hit me," or "This terrified me," or "This yeah. gutted me," or you know what I mean. When someone says to me, "Oh, that poem broke my heart," it's a terrible thing to say. When it it sounds like a terrible thing to say, but that just brings a tear of joy to my eyes yeah because but because, you, because you've hit the right spot i mean you, you're like me you've probably read brilliant brilliant book, books with fabulous stories and you've got to the end of it and you've gone well that was okay but to be honest i didn't really care whether that character lived or died yeah and <laughs> that's a big disappointment too i i struggle bad with that um and now anymore i've got kind of a you know life is short if i'm not liking this book i'm gonna set it aside and pick up something else um and the biggest showstopper for me is those characters if i hate your character and i don't even hate him enough to want to know how he dies yeah then you failed it <laughs> you know? and, and, and it's not all, it's not all about making likable characters is it i think when i first started writing that i was like oh i've got to make my characters really likable because otherwise people aren't going to like them but no you have to make your characters real and i think all my characters are inherently flawed because because they're human um yeah because every single character on the planet is inherently flawed <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you can't you can't have somebody that's just you know wonderfully yeah. good just because you think a reader might like them because they're wonderfully good yeah because that's just not i mean it's kind of like a weird analogy but it's a kind of a good one is that um i i advocate for mental health a lot and mm-hmm. um and where the hell was I going with that, Beverly? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Shane. <laughs> I I had a good point. It wasn't just me demonstrating that the reason why I advocate for mental health. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, back to our discussion. I'll forget it, and maybe it'll come back. It'll, it'll come back to you, like when you go upstairs for something and you you forgot what it is, and you come back downstairs, and then you realize what it is. <laughs> exactly exactly probably you know like right after we say okay good night have a good day beverly <laughs> yes you'll go, oh no that's what it was yes yeah, if I yeah we, were, we were we were talking we were talking about characters and uh, and i think that sometimes it's nice to write well not nice that's an awful word interesting it's interesting to write a character with not many redeeming qualities and see if the reader actually likes that character that's right. an interesting one um and that yeah or likes them or at least cares about them you know because yes. i've had i've had some characters that i hated intensely but i also really liked them as the character they were for what they were there for it's yeah. kind of like when you see a character getting ready to star in one of your a role from one of your favorite books and it's just the 
perfectly right person, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, and you, you hold your breath the whole way through the movie, hoping they don't mess it up somewhere. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, which doesn't always, I mean, doesn't always pan out for you. <laughs> no, no, sometimes you're very disappointed. But then that that's movies for you. I, I always think that if, if you love a book and you've read a book way before the movie or the show comes out, it, it, it can never live up to it, can it? The, the visual can never live up to the imagination in your head, the imagery in your head. No, no. The imagery in your mind, even when you don't think it is, um, is much, much more vivid, at least as far as how you receive it, you know. And, yeah, what what you pick up in the film is somebody else's image. Yes, and and you're you're spoon fed what's happening, whereas yeah. when you're reading a story, you know it's actually your imagination that's creating these these visuals in your head and 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 taking you to these places and making you feel these emotions. Yes, yes, which is kind of you know drawing that back to ruin. Um, sorry, I I am horrible. Uh, lazy person when it comes to saying names of things the ruin of delicate things no i i i i, I call it ruin quite often in fact sometimes if i'm on twitter i'll mention ruin and then i go well if anybody's looking at this and they don't know me they'll have not have a clue what i'm talking about right i think you all would love ruin yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> to hell with you too <laughs> i mean <laughs> Because uh, my books have such long titles, it, it's just really easy just to sort of to shorten them to just a word. And, and generally speaking, people know if they if they've followed you for a while actually what you're talking about, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and if they don't, they'll probably ask or quietly slip away, hoping you don't hurt them on the way. Yes, yes, <laughs> probably a lot of those. Yes. <laughs> um. So. Uh, but that what that was leading me to was those, you know, the way you lead somebody along was how you do, um, how you lay out these seemingly small, but either extremely intriguing or ominous clues along the way through yeah. um, the ruin of delicate things is, I mean, I think it's crucial to the story. And it makes me wonder, were you actually conscious of the mystery as well as the story and the plot and the horror and, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, maybe the thing about writing books is that you're, you're, you're yeah. so intent on getting the words on a page that sometimes the, the meaning behind it comes from your fingers, but yet you don't know why you're writing it. Mm -hmm. And wow. it's not until you go back and you go into edits and things like that and you start picking it apart sentence by sentence that you go, oh, hold on a minute, that sentence there, oh, which foreshadows this bit at the end. Exactly, yes. Um, and I do that a lot, so I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. I mean, with me, it's the the poetry thing. Um, yeah. Where I actually intentionally take myself out of my head when I do that for the most part and kind of just focus on the craft you know yeah focus on the words uh, yeah you know um but the first pass through that is not that at all it's just a i have this concept and i'm just gonna blurt yeah um but yeah that spills over that you don't really know until 
you go back and start looking at it that okay oh wow that's a great metaphor for that too dude i'm glad you did that you know but not remember yeah. that you consciously thought i should use this here you know <laughs> and, and and sometimes and sometimes people find things in your poetry or, or find things in your stories and they'll maybe comment on them in a review and you haven't even seen that and it's not until they say oh oh and this was fabulous the way they did this this and this that you go oh crikey you know i never even yeah. realized that i did that yeah, exactly. I've had that not often happen, but a few times with poetry where, oh, I love the way you handled the concept of, and it's like, oh, yeah, cool. That is yeah. great. <laughs> just, just sit back and nod. Yep. Yeah, oh, thank sit. you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Never deny that, especially with poetry, that's easy, though, because poetry just means whatever it means to whoever receives it. Of course it, it does. It, poetry is how it speaks to the other person. Mm -hmm. And I get I get people frustrated because they'll say, um, what does this mean? I don't know. Ugh. What does it mean to you? I know what it means to me, but that's personal. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like like poetry is just one of those things that you, you, you can't. You, well, you can pick it apart, but it, poetry is written, like you say, more than more than novels to invoke that response, mm -hmm. isn't it? And and yeah. I think I think poetry more than any other uh, form of writing, it finds us when we most need it. Um, mm -hmm. Just like a certain book can suddenly appear and you decide to read it, and you really feel that book, you you understand, you feel understood by reading that book. Um, writing poetry, reading poetry. Um, is something that comes to us just just when life demands that we need something like that. Um, really, really, it does. Uh, you know, when you think, I think about the first time I ever discovered a poet, and I I hate to to confess to this, but um, you know, not really. I'm joking about that, but uh, I think I was 11 years old and in love with pretty much every other girl in school mm. um, or every girl in school. And um, my dad had all these Rod McEwen collections on his shelves. Mm. And, um, oh, they're terrible. I mean, as far as I'm concerned now, they did, but it's not really that they're terrible. I just outgrew them, you know, drastically. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're not right for you in this present time, no. Right, but at the time, they're they're what drew me to poetry because they spoke to that adolescent, you know, adulation yes. of everything yeah. that moved, you know, and it was yeah. kind of like, you know, I mean, I was in love with the local news anchor on the TV, so you know, I mean, yeah, so. well, but that that's it. It was just that your emotions were going through that sort of really that burgeoning stage, and you just you almost needed something to explain to you why you were feeling like that. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, in some ways, I mean, not in some ways, in a great way, he's one of the greatest influences on my life because he led me to guys like Neruda and Keats oh, and, yes. you know, I mean. We've already, already spoken about Neruda, haven't we? <laughs> yes, yes, but uh, not difficult for me. My, I think my difficult my difficulty with poetry when talking about it is people will say, oh, and that line in such and such poem in my, my mind, as you know, doesn't do well with names. Well, I, I, I can never recall certain lines because people sometimes say, well, what's a line out of your favorite poem? And you go, ah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> yep, yep. Hmm, let me Google that. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I never have that kind of mind that can retain vast quantities of sort of information like that. I would have been an awful actor. You know, I could never remember the lines. Oh, no, no. I actually took a shot at that and ended up being a musician instead because... You know, <laughs> much easier to memorize a poem than yeah, it is. Yeah, I, to... I, I don't know how actors do it. Like sometimes I'll sit and I'll watch a movie and they'll have this huge bit of monologue, this emotional monologue from this this actor, and I go, "What? How did they remember all that?" Um, and my problem too is the emotional end of it is that when I feign emotion, I feel it, and I don't know if I would be able to do that and still remember what I was supposed to be saying. Well, that's it. If you have one where they're breaking down and sobbing, you know, that, that obviously their whole, their whole body language then reverts to the emotional response that's going on within them, never mind remembering all those words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it's yeah, it's a, it's a mastery of a skill that I won't even try to even conceive of how no. anybody could do that we'll just take our hat off to all actors and actresses everywhere there you go we've done it <laughs> yeah and and really all artists everywhere um they 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 do a great service for the planet oh i mean especially over this past year where would, where would we be without all the creatives that have helped us through this awful time oh yeah yeah well and that's exactly right is that it was I know for me personally, on a personal level, creativity um, saved me during this time because while I'm not a very social person, I don't like to feel like I don't have the option of not being alone when I do not want to be alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I also don't like the idea of dying, so I'm very antisocial when I'm out in public. So yeah, no, no. It's 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 like treat everybody as if. As if they have this awful disease. Exactly. It, it, it's it's going to be very difficult when we when we actually can get back to whatever form of normal becomes the normal, because you'll be treating everybody with a certain kind of oh, I wonder, wonder if they've had it. I wonder if they're a carrier. I wonder if they've had the vaccine. Right. You know. And the, yeah, those thoughts start going through like you're awful close to me. Yes, the way. I mean, right now where I'm at, it's still a thing where. If somebody gets closer than five feet, I'm going to tell them to get away from me. Yeah. Uh, because there's still a prevalence, you know, welcome to America. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't like people getting close to me even without a pandemic. It's like, just you're in my space, just move. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> if you're in my space and I'm okay with it, then it's something we've already established previously. Yes, I'm yes, okay but if you're sort of trying to reach past me on a supermarket shelf, it's like, move, get out of the way. Um, yeah, I struggled with that when I was younger because, you know, um, all my friends would go out to the bars and stuff and I'd try to go out with them and, and there are just so many people right there, not just yeah. in space, but up against me and stuff. And no, I, I'm no germaphobe or anything like that, but I'd like to know that I have a bubble around me where I can respond to things. You know? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I wonder if I wonder if that's a, a, a creator thing, like because we're so used to being in our own, <clears throat> excuse me, our, our own bubble, creating things. We don't like anybody else sort of coming into that, coming into that bubble. I kind of feel that way too. Or you know, the alternative is that we become creatives because of whatever it is that causes us to prefer to be in that bubble by ourselves yeah that's, yeah that's interesting yeah 
I, I, it's kind of like I studied a lot because, because of the mental health advocacy and what I struggle with and creatives and ADHD and ASD and the a vast majority of what they call personality disorders, a term mm-hmm. I hate, um, are also, you know, they're very, very closely tied together. Yeah. Um, almost everyone I've ever met who suffers ADHD is also an extremely creative person, yeah. um, usually really good at that creativity, you know, and sadly, most of them are also substance abusers because that's what we do. <laughs> Not me anymore, really. Yeah, it's, 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 as, it's as though life gives you this gift of being able to create this magic for other people mm-hmm. that says, along with that gift, right. you can have this. And yeah, and it's interesting too because you, if you live with it for so many years, um, you start to see the people that you can pretty much, if you won't, but you could pretty much diagnose. Yeah. You know, where it's like, oh, I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, and the, they're all things that are typical of, you know, a condition that you're familiar with or that you've studied or that. Mm. And you know, it's not say, and I'm not saying all writers are crazy. We are, but. Um, and we are to a certain extent because because we sit down and, and we spend hours, months, years creating this wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and then we put it out in the public eye for people to tear to pieces. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And we and we abuse ourselves in the process of doing it. Yeah, we do. Of, like, have, have you eaten today? Uh, biscuits, does that count? <laughs> That was a. I was talking to one of my co-hosts yesterday. I don't remember now, and um, made that comment. I think it was Laurel that. Uh, yeah, I need to eat tonight. I don't think I have in a couple of days. <laughs> she uh, said, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, like, that's not that that that's not a good thing. Your your body yeah. body will remind you about that. But it is that as, as, especially when you're in that really um, you're in that zone of a. a of the creative mm-hmm. part of the story where you don't want to leave the keyboard in case all these ideas disappear along with you. Exactly. And that's kind of where the real self-abuse comes in. It's not self-abuse. I joke about that. But in a way, you know, like um, when we finish up here, it'll be 1.30, 1.40, sometime like that, my time, a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll write for another four hours before I go to bed, almost guaranteed. Yeah, but, that, but, that, but that's your body clock, isn't it? You're, you're, you're a nocturnal creature, really. Exactly, exactly. And I learned to do that partly because of working graveyard shifts, yeah. Um, but mostly because of writing and always having been in a position in my life where it was easier to do that in the hours when everybody else in the world is sleeping. Was sleeping because because nobody else had any demands on your time then. Apart exactly. from sleep. And that yeah. was like, yeah, I'll sleep later. Exactly. And that's how, um, fortunately, the people around me tolerate that about me. So, yeah, because at this point in time, it's unchangeable. No. <laughs> but yeah, it makes me, it gives me a lot of time to talk to my UK friends. Oh, yeah. You see, this is, it's, 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 this is morning for me. As you know, it's 9.22 in my, <clears throat> in my morning. So as, as you're going off after we finish this to uh, to write i'll be i'll be doing my editing <clears throat> mm-hmm. um and that's something while well, we're you know it's 
now that you bring that up. Um, the process, it's like, I can tell you have a way that you do that thing where when we first talk and it's your morning and um, my evening when we chat or whatever, um, you are always almost, not always, but um, almost always the first task of your writing day is going to be going in and doing edits. Yeah, it's because... We, the, the brain is fresher then and mm -hmm. it's a case of if I need to really think about like if I'm doing major edits where I'm taking chunks out of the story or even if I'm taking chunks out of the story and separating them into pieces and then spoon feeding them back in different parts of the story I really need my head to be on straight I, I can't do that later on in the day I, I have to do I can write later on in the day but editing I have to do in the morning um yeah I I always do editing first and usually yeah, act literally almost right after I get up most of the time. Mm. Um, you know, with a, especially with a work in progress, I can I go back and rewrite, you know, read and rewrite what I wrote the day before and um, then continue forth with the story because mm. it, it puts me back in it. You know, um, I don't I, I don't have any experience or you know um real great knowledge along the way i just know that if i try to just jump back in and write i'll go back and read and what i wrote the day before and what i wrote that day will be written by two different people mm. editing is a, a weird thing to categorize it's like writing really i mean there were no rules to writing the only rule to writing is you have to put your bum in the chair and you write for how mm you write how it works for you and, and editing is very much the same I mean a lot of people say oh you should never look back on what you've written you should just carry on regardless and then you get to the end and then the, the next draft is when you can go back in uh, but I know so many people that say I can't do that I yeah. have I have to read back what I've written the day before I do um, and I mean part of it is that I know there's an extreme risk that the things I see now I won't see again later you know, mm. what I mean? um, but yeah, the big part for me is nothing technical, technical. It's just I have to get my voice back because I tend to bounce around to different voices, you know, so it's kind of like, oh, wait, that's not that character. That's that character over there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the only problem with writing like multi points of view is that sometimes you, you you start off writing and then you realize oh hold on a minute I'm not writing the character before I'm writing this character and they don't speak like that so let's just let's just rewind and go back to the beginning and start again um I forgot but yeah yeah same here it's like no this is not um I catch myself doing that and changing tense you know. Oh, I think I think I think that's uh, especially in a first draft. I, I mean, I think that's part of the course. I mean, you can end up changing tenses, but that that's an easy thing to fix as long as you yeah. don't, you know, continue in the the whole book like that and continue it in first person. You really wanted to write it in third. Yeah, but even then, I mean, it's not with a whole book, I would imagine, but with a short story, it's kind of like yeah, going through and changing was's and is's and yeah. then's and now's is you know fairly simple editing work 
just it's yeah, just... That, 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 that's that's the kind of editing work that you that, that you almost can do at the end of the editing session because it's quite it's quite fulfilling, isn't it? Yeah. Doing that because you, then you can you can tick it off on your sheet that you've done that bit and it do, it doesn't take that much brain power. Yeah. Whereas if you wait a long time and get a whole bunch of that built up, it's going to take you. Well, for me, with my attention span, I'm going to do it at about 20 minutes at a time for about four days. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 the th- and the thing is, when you're writing that first draft, that, that there's so many cook's words. I mean, every, every writer has a cook's word or, or you know, a catalogue of cook's words. That, that at the end, the, the end of maybe the fourth or the fifth draft, you'll go through and you'll put that word in find in in the word mm-hmm. document and it brings it up you have used this word 912 times yeah <laughs> and you're like ah right okay then i better have a look at that <laughs> uh, um yeah and i have words that are exactly that um that that yes that <laughs> is one of mine as you probably know <laughs> it's, it's the first word I search for when I go back. <laughs> it's crazy. It just pours out of your fingers. And, you know, only maybe a third of the time do you actually need it. It's amazing how you can clean up a document by going through and looking how many cases of that you've got in your document. And it's so much easier to see when somebody else does it. Oh, absolutely. It is. If somebody says, excuse me, but that paragraph had 25 vats. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go back and you're like, ah, yeah, we'll change that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it's like uh, I did some proofreading for Rich and some editing suggestions, and I, I could see every single one of those things without really having to search for it. Mm-hmm. Too. You, can, you can see it in other people's writing straight mm-hmm. away. Yeah, because you're not as emotionally invested in it, and, I think. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, it's the emotional investment that takes you too deep in the story to, to sort of see these little parts that need to be changed, but um, are, are just there because that's just ha- part of your writer's voice. Um, yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's something else. That, oh, hey, no notes or anything. This is always one I ask, and I don't know why it's important to me, but it is. I know everybody does this differently. Go on, then. Uh, but uh, do, you, do you outline heavily? or? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I always have a beginning, as in I know how a character is going to start off in that first chapter. Mm-hmm. And I always have an ending. And I'll maybe have a few points along the way that I'd like to hit. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, I'm purely I'm purely pantsing. It's a case of I get hold of my characters and I just let them hang on to their shirt tails and just let them take me wherever they want. That's, that is exactly how I do it, too. I, I can't. I, I tried doing an outline and plotting each scene, and it just stems all the creativity from me. I just I just can't do it. Yeah, I can't. And I was struggling with it, and I asked um, Todd Kiesling, mm. um, you know, because, you know, he's a very talented writer and yeah. someone I've known for a long time, so I trust him. Um, and he said, if you're struggling with trying to outline it or plan it or anything like that, know who your character is, know where you want them to begin, and know what you want your readers to feel like when you finish the story yeah. that that's that's perfect yeah and it works for me you yeah. know most 
time. It really does. And then Tiffany McDaniel did the same thing, said, I don't think you're an outliner. You just panic every time you try to outline and you spend your creativity. So just write it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's wonderful when other writers give you that that that, that mm-hmm. kind of that, that feeling that you can do this because so many times you, you read that oh you know it's the wrong way to do it but as we said before writing there, there isn't really any hard and set rules it's just what uh, works for you i yeah that's my my biggest rule if someone says what what is a rule is that there are no rules yeah um, and the same with advice when you say how do i know what's good advice and what's bad advice and like, try it if it works, yeah. it's good advice. If it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work for you. you yeah, know, but... a, a lot of a lot of very new writers get very bogged down in the rights and the wrongs of things because they they spend they spend far too long actually on the internet researching what's right and wrong rather than just sitting down and letting their story come out. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of that because very much so. Oh, God, we, we, we've all done it. We we all still do it. Exactly. Uh, that that was my next thing is it's like, um, yeah, I'm reading a book called Sin and Syntax right now. So I guess I'm still kind oh, of, you know, <laughs> good book, though. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but no, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I do. I do read. Um, I, I do read certain books on the craft of writing. I mean, um, one of the first ones that, that, that I ever read and I still love and I still refer back to is, is on writing by Stephen King. Stephen King. Yep. That is brilliant. But uh, recently I have read Writing in the Dark by Tim Wagoner. Have you read that one? Oh, yes. We had Tim on. Ah, brilliant book. So, so good. I will use it repeatedly. I'll go back again and again to that. So Um, many things that that you go, oh, yeah, I realize that now. And it's just having the book there to refer back to if you're having a sort of a, a wobbly moment in a story. Exactly. Um, and, you know, the way he added the different voices in, you know, um, um, the different advice from different writers and things yeah. like that, or just, you know, anecdotes, just so incredibly useful because um, you're getting exactly what we were just talking about. You know, if you can't use the advice, there's a bunch of other advice in there that you probably can yeah. find, find out what works for you again, like like anything. Yep. And I mean, it's kind of cool now. I'm not. I don't work for them. I'm not advertising for them. But Tim and um, Raw Dog Screaming Press are putting out a workbook companion to that. So, oh, I read that. Yes. You know, I don't know that I would do that. I don't feel like it's something that's really necessary for me. But I feel like if you were a young writer, that would be that. That would that would be perfect. That would maybe give you that confidence. To approach yeah, something yeah. yourself, if you could actually go through the exercises, which I'm assuming there will be exercises in it, and actually start you off. Because, again, it's just it's just the starting that's the difficult bit. That is the most difficult thing about writing. It's the actual starting it. Um, it really is. And, you know, it took me a lot of years to, with poetry it was, and I've been writing that since I was 11 years old, but mm. in the closet. Because uh, it was a lot harder to actually let anybody read it than it was to write it. You know? oh. <laughs> um, but with the fiction and stuff like that, I would always sit down and attempt and go, "No, I can't do this." Yeah. You know, and then yeah, same thing just happened just last year when you know, uh, Mallerman and Hightower and a few others said, "Just do it." Just sit down and write it. Who cares? And it's, and it's so. almost as if you're waiting for permission from people, isn't it? Yeah. 
But as soon as people go, well, just do it. It's like, oh, okay, then I can. And then, yeah, and I guess the best piece of, quote, permission I ever got was from uh, Damien Angelica Walters, who said, um, um, you can write stuff that needs improvement, but there's no such thing as a bad word. Every word you put down is going to make you better at putting them down the next time. So, yeah, yeah, and and it, and it's so true. You 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 could write six pages of absolute drivel, but if you can claw back one page of gold from that drivel, then that is progress. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, let me look at my timing here. Yeah, I should probably let you get to your editing day. Oh yes, lovely. <laughs> And, yes, um, I, I hope the weather's lovely there today. It is. Up, I'm looking out of my window now. The sun is pouring through the window, showing all the dust on all the furniture. But that's a job for another day. Uh, yeah, yes. it's, a, it's, it's, it's very spring-like today. It's beautiful. That's fantastic. It has been here too lately, which is, I mean, a little bit early for it. But, yes, uh, I, I'm not convinced that we're finished with the snow yet. So. Yeah, yeah I won't. I won't. Uh, count any blessings until they're behind me (laughs) yes Uh, but uh so you're working on a book now i am uh and anything else you have in the works that you think you want to talk about or you'd like to people to know about i have a couple of short stories coming out this year one as you know in um paranormal contact Oh yes, Cemetery Gates Media, which should be out, <clears throat> I think, at the end of this month, if I'm right. Uh, and then uh, another one in Far From Home from Off Limits Press, which um, is being released on May the 15th. Oh, I didn't know about that one, but that's brilliant. Um, yes, uh, uh, that, that's, that's an adventure horror, which is something that I hadn't tackled before. So that was that. Uh, it, it was a very interesting one to write and again I was incredibly surprised and honoured when I actually got in because I, I know they had so many submissions for that one um, yeah that sounds like a, a departure and also it sounds really um, interesting um, and I guess anything really that Sam Koyesnik is involved in um, oh she's just know. gold isn't she everything she touches is just brilliant yeah yeah, I'm waiting for her to disappoint me. So anytime someone says, oh, I'm in this thing with Off Limits, it's like, oh, you're good. <laughs> you know, because that's what she does, you know. Yeah, so. she has this ability to just know what is going to work and, and just take unknown voices and, and just know that their stories are, are just brilliant stories. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so I... I'm lost here because I'm sitting here waiting for my two co-hosts to chime in and ask. Ah, you see, they're probably (laughs) listening to this and they'll be shouting at you saying, you should have said this. Right, (laughs) exactly. We do that sometimes. Oh, I wish you would have asked this. You know, (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, I have loved our time together. I Uh, have had a wonderful time. um, I don't want this to be the last time. Let us. Do this. Oh, well, I'm 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 very ha- I'm very happy uh, to come back home when, whenever we can fa- find a time zone that fits us all. Excellent. I think I think that, well, this time zone fits me. The other kids, yeah, we've got a. I think we talked about doing an 11 a.m. my time zone, but that's still pushing pretty. 
pushing up there a little bit late, but mm. not as drastically as I was going to subject you to. Quote. <laughs> I would have been sat in my pajamas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Um, I will talk to you online and bug you incessantly with poetry chat. That, you, you are more than welcome to do that. I've had a, a, really, a really wonderful time and I hope uh, the listeners enjoyed listening to us both rambling on as we did. Oh, I'm certain they will. Um, I, you know, you class me up. So, <laughs> uh, Beverly Lee, everybody, The Ruin of Delicate Things. It's a brilliant novel. Um, I'm loving it. Um, I have no doubt that the Gabriel Davenport series is going to be the same thing. And, you know, pretty much if you see Beverly's name on it, um, just get it. You know, uh, thank you. You're, you're very, very kind. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you for being here, and I will talk to you soon. Okay, then. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs>